0: Welcome to the Opera Biz podcast, uncut and unfiltered, where we hang out with opera professionals and talk about life inside the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Yeah, okay. so we can we can just uh, just jump right into jump things right in. and yeah, and I mean you're used to
1: winging your inter-
0: interviews and, and winning winging it. So yeah, yeah. So you know, let's let's start with kind of um, the abridged version of how you ended up here, and then we'll kick into the abridged version. The abridged version. Um,
1: so. <laughs> The New York Opera Alliance. Mm-hmm. It's a group of, at this point, fifty-four companies. Excellent. Um, and it began about eight years ago. Um, I was interviewing Gina Crusco, uh, who was uh, producing an opera which was called *Clarence and Anita* about Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. Yeah. Uh, written by Ben Yarmolinsky. I was interviewing them, and after the interview was done, she said, so what do you want to do with this? And, you know, I'd always, I'd been sort of frustrated with how opera groups don't communicate, and, you know, I didn't know each other. I had another group I was working with at the same time, and I was trying to get a singer, and we wanted to, you know, they had a, we had a dress rehearsal, they had a regular rehearsal, and i like, if we knew each other better, better we could trust each other. right? You know? So Gina said, you know, what Do you want to do with this? And I said, You know, I would, I've always wanted to have a festival, you know, a, 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 like a wig stock for a whole day of opera in a park somewhere that all yeah. these little companies go to. Um, she goes, Yeah, I, I, she goes, That's a great idea, but don't we need to be a community first? And I'm like, Yeah, I, I agreed with her. And she made the first step. She's like, Let's call Corey Ellison. Let's see if we can call a group together and do it. And it was really her energy. If she would never she hadn't brought it up, I wouldn't have acted. Yeah. <laughs> so she did a lot of the work and Corey was very helpful and we met, uh, originally a dozen companies. Um, and we said, you know, let's get to know each other. Let's figure out what we can do as a group. I had already at the beginning and started talking about the festival because mm-hmm. that, that's sort of been the sort of guiding principle for me. But, uh, it took a while for us to, you know, you know, it's like herding cats. Right. <laughs> um, but at that first meeting, people said, "Well, who else should we invite?" And we started making a list. And by the end of that meeting, we had sixty, seventy opera companies that we, as a group, also knew someone. Now that was a shock to all of us. That yeah. was a shock to me. Um, you know, I, I thought the dozen of us were about it, right? right. And. Uh, and then we gradually found out there's even more. And so we started inviting people. And, it, and it's grown over the years, of course, like I said, to 54 companies. Uh, but there's still, there's, there's over 100 companies in the city. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's opera. There's so happening. much opera in the city. Yeah, it seems to be exploding, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when I first came to the, you know, I moved here 20 years ago. Oh, wait. 27 years ago. <laughs> wow, I hadn't thought of that number in a while. <laughs> 27 years ago, um, I don't even remember there being much of a scene, you know, and I think most people in the public could count on their hands, you know, the opera companies they know, and if they could count all five fingers, that'd be impressive. That was impressive, yeah. You know, Um, so there really has been an explosion. Part of it is uh, just awareness of of each other, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just the internet, has made connections between all sorts of disparate groups across the globe, but also within, you know, an artistic community. So yeah. it's really been a real boon for us. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people who go to school to study opera, and they want to have outlets for it, and they come to New York. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and it's happening in Chicago. It's happening in San Francisco, It's happening everywhere, really. Yeah. Um, so I think that's sort of the genesis of of the the alliance. Uh, the festival, which, you know, we put off for a few years, um, I liked this idea of a festival, you know, a single day. We still haven't done that
0: right. yet. <laughs> well, I mean, you talked about herding cats. I mean, that yeah. would just be mayhem well, I'm, to get I'm organized. Hoping, it's possible. Yeah. It's just, it just takes a lot more legwork than people think.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that, that idea, but I didn't hold the idea tightly. I don't think as an artist you should hold the idea tightly you should hold it loosely Mm -hmm. collaborate Mm -hmm. and see what energy can be generated from this impetus you know um so i let it be whatever it's going to be um and i think that's kind of the strength of the opera fest we don't curate Mm -hmm. you know we don't there isn't a voice that can't be included and I don't think there's, is there any other opera fest in the world like that? Every single one of them is curated right. in some way. There's yeah. some hurdle, there's something. Now I thought, okay, this is a um, volume proposition, not a quality proposition, I mm-hmm. thought. Uh, you know, because I, who knew what quality you were going to get? Yeah. And so we had our first events and NIO had its first event at La Poisson Rouge. Everyone was great. Every single one was incredible. And then we had the opening event of the festival, which we're, we're about to have the fourth opening of our fourth festival next week. So <laughs> if this airs, it's, it's on the 29th. But if not, we had a great opening. There you go. <laughs> um, and I, it, the quality of the groups, and even groups that I've known for years, were groups that I've known you know, since I moved to the city, the quality is just you know exploding mm-hmm. there there are no duds, yeah, you know you go, they all have something compelling, something interesting, and what I've learned from this is that opera it doesn't have to be in a big room mm-hmm. to be great mm-hmm. the you know we go to the movies, we read books we 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 tell stories to each other, and we're moved in all sorts of media, right, so we want that from opera, yeah. And sometimes being in a small space with a real opera singer, really acting, not just parking and barking, like they say. Yeah. Really delivering a song with some genuine connection to their selves, you know, can really impact you in a way that it's it's just not possible across a huge stage. Yeah. You get an amazing thing at a large, you know, the Met. I've had some amazing moments, right? Yeah. But it's not the same thing. When you're in a room with someone and you're going through an opera with them, it's, it's really intense up close. Yeah. It can be so beautiful and so moving. Well, Not to mention, so. so
0: many of the operas that we see on a grand scale weren't written for a grand scale. They right. you know, were well, written for a much smaller space.
1: Oh, I love hearing someone know that. <laughs> it's so funny because we have a reputation.
0: Yeah, our mindset in the States is, are there 3,000 seats in the yeah. house? There need to be at least 3,000 seats in the house.
1: Yeah, I always say that's that's a, that's a 20th century invention.
0: Absolutely, it yeah, is. Yeah,
1: it, you know, living room opera, that was the beginning of opera. It was yeah. done in the king's living room, right? right. Um, so now that we're doing a living room, everyone's like, wow, they're doing opera in the living room. Like, no, that's where it started, folks. Well, we're just maintaining
0: ch- a tradition, right? Really. And the church, the church, <laughs> the too. the church.
1: It's true, it's true. It, it happened in small spaces. So. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, some of some works you can't do in a small space, obviously. Right. Uh, but it's amazing what people can do. You know, these companies take do you know variations piano. Sometimes they reduce. Sometimes they change to a completely different orchestration, and it's it's inc- it's great. Yeah. You know, um, one one of the companies, Opera on Tap, does a program in schools, mm-hmm. um, and they will reorchestrate for a different kind of ensemble, and uh, sometimes it'll be like a country band or you know whatever yeah,
0: yeah and
1: uh you know it's they, they change it but boy the the story really travels and it you know kids love it adults love it you know there's, there's nothing lo- like opera
0: live I mean that yeah I remember the first time I had I think it was my senior recital one of my friends had never heard me sung opera came to it and came to me afterwards and we're just totally shocked they're like I didn't know number one you made sounds like that right number two that humans made sound like that They're like <laughs> sitting in that room was just mind-boggling and amazing and so intense and there, there's nothing that I mean I do a lot of media production mm-hmm. and I have recorded more than my fair share amount of opera right and nothing translates like it, it yeah live. sitting in that room live
1: yeah I think that people also have a mistake a mistaken understanding about opera because you know when they see it on film or TV, it's being captured by a microphone, mm-hmm. right? And as a recording person, as you know, a microphone does not capture the full range. Of, it's no. just not even possible. No. Uh, and then the speaker that you're say, playing it
0: back. Even if it came close to capturing it, the playback yeah, there's no for way most to do people it. are listening on you know, either headphones that aren't the greatest quality or... Right. or Laptop speakers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> well, there's a, it's also interesting because live performance—if you look at, instead, you know, look away from the stage and look at the audience—they'll breathe in time yes. with the, uh, with you know, what's going on, the phrasing. You know, it's there is a sympathetic reaction, just like, just like when you're watching uh, ice skating in the Olympics <laughs> or gymnastics. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. There's something about an opera singer, though. What they're doing is they're producing a sound. That you recognize as human, mm-hmm. but then it's beyond human yeah. because it's this it's this other thing. It's the same range as a human voice, but it's been taken to this whole different level, and you're you get very engaged by that. Absolutely, you know? yeah, I love
0: it. People ask me why I continue to work in opera despite the fact I no longer sing right. opera, and that right there is a huge part of it. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I sit in the room with my friends who sing, and and I you know I try and hit small opera as much as as much as I hit big opera, it doesn't always end up working out that way, but it's an experience unlike anything else. Yeah. And is it super niche? Yeah. Is it elite? No. This is, it's an art form for everybody. You just have to be subjected to it. You have to, to take yourself there right. and say, no, I'm going to
1: give this a shot. But it's also extraordinary. I mean, that's the yes. thing about it. It's not like, I mean, an, an actor can be extraordinary too. I mean, mm-hmm. that, I'm not, not pointing down any of the other art forms, mm-hmm. but it's more like Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, You know, you've got people whose physical bodies have been trained for decades mm-hmm. to do a thing yeah. and develop muscles that, you know, it's they're athletes. yeah, And it, you're going to see them do these things that are not just physical, but it's mental. Singing is a mental uh, activity. You have to have everything together or it won't work. But when it works, you know.
0: That's it right there. Yeah. When it works, man. Yeah. It does. It's a phenomenal thing. It really is. I like to. I, I like your 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 use of extraordinary there, just because. I tell I tell singers when I when I work with them and I'm working on their stuff, or if I'm prepping them for if I'm doing video auditions or anything like that, or a photo shoot or whatever. I always try and tell them, remember, you're here because you can do this because you have spent years training to do this thing. Own it. Yeah. You know. Get into it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't you know. There's there's no bashfulness that comes with this. You sing opera, and that's a grand thing. Yeah. Own that thoroughly.
1: Yeah, well, it's the joy of geekdom, really. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? There's something so... I mean, everyone complains about, you know, opera's not central, blah, 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 whatever. But there's something so beautiful about being part of something that's unique, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually special. Yeah. You know? So I, that, that's what I like about it. It's... It is music. It's just like, you know, musical theater. It's just like, it's the same thing. It's just its own Mm -hmm. cultural expression of it, you know?
0: I was in, uh, I worked with the resident artists in Minnesota um, for the same weekend that they were opening for The Fix. And so that was, that was cool. So I got to see the dress rehearsal and then the first, the world premiere of The Fix up in Minnesota, which I also liked. Um, I mean, totally different. For, that's, yeah. This is the great thing about new opera. Is Everybody assumes that new opera all sounds like this thing. Yeah. You know, this, this kind no, of contemporary. Thing. It can be as broad as the rest of the genre.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, Minnesota has been a real inspiration. They have really created the 21st century opera company in the 20th century. They mm-hmm. were the first ones to really say, we're going to create new work we're going to make sure premieres happen on every season or something new-ish on every season. Yeah. Back in the, you know, the 80s, 90s, people weren't doing that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and even like they would go and do a, like a rare britain piece. You know what I mean? They were trying, they were pushing the boundaries of what rep can be and in a, you know, in Minnesota. Yeah. Right? right. <laughs> um and it, it was really very inspirational I think for 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 many of the civic opera companies to see a Definitely. company you know, it's not like it's New York where people think it's safe to experiment, right. you know, whatever that means. Right. I think it's 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 just as dangerous here as anywhere. But um, back then, no one. I mean, it, no one. The rep was so, so ossified. I shouldn't yeah. say that. That's such a negative thing. But a lot of companies did not pay attention to newer work right. back in the '80s and '90s, and they really. They, they were wonderful yeah. leaders in that. Opera America's done a lot. They have the New Works Showcase. Mm-hmm. Another thing, uh, they, they've been commissioning women composers. Yeah. And like last year, they had eight composers. I never heard of a single one of them. And they, you know, I went to look into all of them and they just blew me out of the water. Yeah. They just announced April 1st. Another eight women composers I have never heard of. And so we're about to do a podcast of just focusing and playing their music. Awesome. Um, and last year, I was like, you know, I have no idea what they're going to send us. It's so, like you were saying, new opera can be so many things. Yeah. And they're showing an entire side of opera. I, I just never thought people would write in those styles. It's everything. It's Spanish stuff. It's pop stuff. It's this sort of techno Some of it's very serious. It's just this huge variety of work. And I'm curious to see what this next... Batch of uh, composers are writing. Yeah, yeah.
0: I really want to do a particular version of Bram Stoker's Dracula. All right. And I need to be in on it with the uh, with the composer, and it's going to take multiple composers because it's going to take a composer who has kind of a neoclassical sort of romantic style, Mm -hmm. and then somebody that can actually design soundscapes Mm. in order to do it because it's the sound space for it's going to be super super unique. But it's I know I can do it because of the technology that we have to do it. Right. And it. I wouldn't have been able to pull it off 20 years ago. Right. Not just because of the audience, but because of where technology is. And now I know I can do it, which gives me, opens up this whole other space.
1: Yeah, it's really, the opera's doing that now. We're There's, you know, there are operas written for, you know, digital media. Right. Now, and it's being done regularly. Yeah. YouTube and there's Twitter operas. There's uh, one of the groups, which is a New York Opera Alliance member, Opera on Tap, did a... 3d vr virtual reality opera called the parksville murders um, by kamala sankaram who uh, hopefully your listeners know who she is Mm -hmm. Um, and you can actually go online if you search parksville murders and you can watch the various episodes. I know the episode one is at least online and they're probably working on number two. And it's real spooky. Nice. Yeah, the opera starts with like a bathtub and someone dead in it. Or Anyway, it's very cool. Somebody had mentioned
0: to me about that but didn't mention the whole 3D thing. Yeah. So I'd heard... Or or it's 360. It's VR. Yeah, well, yeah. It's VR, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is awesome. I I love that. I don't think that... um, I I know that a lot of opera companies are scared of the digital space, the virtual space, mm-hmm. that they think that just because everything else has gone that way. But as we've already discussed, opera has a home in, in live spaces. Yeah, And I think that all this technology supplements the on stage shows or the in yeah. home shows or the live productions in general.
1: It's funny though, people do, you know, I, st- I even talk to opera people who, when you ask them definitional terms about opera, is that it, they'll say it's acoustic. Yeah. And I think you know. Yes, it was. Right. That's what I want to say. You know. But it doesn't have to yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, did you see the Tempest? The Tempest had recorded elements. Yeah. Doctor Atomic had amazing electronic and recorded. Yeah. I mean, all of these uh, uh, new operas that they, they no longer. That's just another instrument to right. reach into. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I love. I love the fact that it's starting to embrace more things, and it's you know. It's becoming more cinematic, as you said. Uh, there are A lot of film directors are now directing operas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Um, I think for the sake of, of acting, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because we went through kind of a phase of opera where acting was kind of the last thing that a lot of people thought about or really wasn't taught that much in, in conservatories. they so like, yeah. well, when you get to the stage, we'll work on the acting stuff. But right now, let's focus on this over here. Right. But when you have people who uh, direct cinema or direct commercially mm-hmm. come in and do a piece, that's something they're really going to be heavy on. Yeah. And I love that. I love that aspect. Of yeah.
1: This. It's really interesting. You know, I think that the young artists today, what's being asked of them is so much greater oh, yeah. than at any time. And you know, it's just the mastery, the amazing ma- mastery of the human voice, but also the musicians. I, saw, I went to Juilliard two nights ago, saw Don Giovanni. That orchestra is incredible. Yeah. The singers are incredible. And I mean, I know I'm getting older, but they're just kids. They're just
0: <laughs> <laughs> These are kids. Do you know what I mean? It's right. I mean, when I looked back at my undergrad, I thought that I was so grown up. And now if I went back and watched one of those shows, I was like, wow, oh, I was just a child.
1: <laughs> but look back. I mean, now... These the, the, the players in the orchestra, w- whatever rep you throw at an American musician, they're going to be able to play. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever you throw at an opera singer nowadays, you know, some people do have their niches. They just want to do this and this. But that's getting rarer. I yeah. mean, I think that the flexibility in performance uh, is really outstanding yeah. today.
0: For for the Opera Fest, right. um, how many of them are going to be are doing new
1: works? All right. So... To be honest, I think there's maybe 13, uh-huh. 13 new works. But interestingly, you know, we usually have a lot That's of still of great new works. because it still could be none. You know, right? right. Oh, it's, yeah. It's great
0: that they're they're doing new works.
1: I think though that what's it more interesting is that there are people doing second performances or third, you know what I mean? Yes. Of new works. Yes. Which which I think is really healthy. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a production of Patience and Sarah, which is a I would say, the first real gay and lesbian opera written by someone openly gay, mm-hmm. Paula. Um, and it's a, a wonderful story. It was written 25 years ago for the, for, um, the 25th anniversary of, of Gay Pride. Uh, and now on the 50th anniversary, uh, they're going to do it again. I want to get this right, though. Oh, yes. Um, they're going to be doing it at the Hunter Opera Theater, and it's by uh, Paula Kimper, who was our president, the NIOA president, uh, for a couple years. And um, the other, other gay-related opera that's also getting a re- repeat is As One. Uh-huh. Do you know, have you yeah. heard about As One? Yeah. yeah, that's just been taking off fantastically. So, um, and I'm trying to think what the new ones are. Mursaki's Moon is new. Okay. Uh, by Michi Bianco. Um Oh yeah, and Laura Kaminsky, who wrote *As One*, is also they're going to do some. Some light emerges. Okay. Do you know about the the? It's you know the Rothko Chapel. The yeah, one, yeah. So it's it's a, an opera set in there. So she has two operas. Nice. Uh, and actually, she's two operas and a concert. They're doing the New York Festival of Song is doing Laura Kaminsky and friends, and she, they're doing a whole concert that she is uh, curating of lesbian uh identified Mm -hmm. composers awesome um so yeah there's a lot of really cool stuff going on yeah um and a lot of baroque stuff this year too uh there's teseo um which is a Handel opera hiradite which well that's actually messinae la Susanna, which is also baroque by alessandro stadella i'd never heard it who's doing that um, that's being b- done as a co-production with Opera Lafayette and Heartbeat Opera awesome. the Heartbeat that did that really great Fidelio last yeah. year and um, that is Baroque and i had never heard that piece they did you know in an event at WQXR's Green Space mm-hmm. and they they were fantastic fantastic uh, so I, I'm gonna try and get to see that one there's also a production if you spoke to Andrew I did um, of Dido and Aeneas uh, which is going to be done in the catacombs of yeah. is it Greenwood Cemetery?
0: Uh, I think that's right yes yeah I didn't write I didn't write I Green, Lawn, down here
1: or Woodlawn or, <laughs> yeah. I think it's Greenwood Cemetery um, and you know they they really are going to have a great time in that space yeah. like Dido and Aeneas it's like a perfect piece for that absolutely um, so yeah there's a lot of really interesting stuff on, on, on the schedule this year um, and, um,
0: and the the, the breadth of, of the festival starts this upcoming week and then right. runs all the way through
1: uh, the very end of June. Awesome. So it's an entire two months, which sounds like a lot. But if you're an opera fan, that's not enough.
0: No, no, it's not. <laughs> um, I, need to, I need to go to the, your site and get the, the calendar down so I can pick the ones that I'm going to go to. Because I already know that I'm going to... Rodiad um, with uh, New Amsterdam Opera. Yeah, um, Keith's a friend of mine. I had Kirsten on the show, um, but uh, I need to do that. And then um, City Lyric Opera's uh, The Tragedy of Carmen. Oh, I know. You would see that I know one the, too. The, um, Which they've got some pretty pretty bold long, plans for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, if you if you look at the sort of schedule over, it, you'll see that a lot of the operas this year are really taking classical works, and really reframing them for the Me Too movement era, for the Trump era, um, and a lot of the operas are dealing with modern issues of gender, of um, basically power and what's going on in, in our society today, mm-hmm. and it's really nice because, uh, you know, it's not like you have to force it to be about that stuff, right. you know, I mean, when you go to the opera today, it's it's painful. Yeah. It's painful to watch some of these work, like the Don Giovanni, obviously, yeah, but you know almost any opera you go, just the way that gender is presented right, right, right if right. you're not adjusting for today's you know audiences, yeah see it, it's a very difficult little shift that's going on, yeah um, and of course the racial stuff, which which has always been bad and opera companies have a very hard time with trying to shift it because you know what do you do with? with these were Otello, what do you do with these works? (laughs) Aida and all. Yeah.
0: Um, But the nice thing is that opera is giving us a different space to talk about this stuff. Yeah. A new space that maybe uh, had felt a little antiquated before. These things are now coming up. Yeah. And 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 are are actually being discussed and are actually being altered or changed or... uh, But I mean, opera's always been a voice for uh, political commentary or I mean you you mentioned Giovanni I mean that was still even unto itself kind of a heavy satire I mean getting the guy dragged into hell directly in the end and and he did the he did kind of a a, a lot of jabs with um, at the upper class with Figaro
1: oh yeah completely when they're alive when it's new right you're in touch right right and Europe for has kept the political aspects and people you know a lot of people hated it. Yeah, it's there's, true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, stop being political and just put on a show. And in America, we, they stood really stood back mm-hmm. from that. Um, but I think that there's a definite change in the way artists are thinking now because of what's going on in our society. And I think that they've, I mean, I've said this before, but I, 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 every day I keep thinking about this. You know, they say art Artists are supposed to be a reflection of society you know, holding a mirror up to society. Right. But uh, I think that's changed. And I think artists are now thinking of themselves as holding a spotlight up to society, which is different. Right. That's editing out things to focus specifically on a very narrow thing, to look at it deeper and to show, you know, like what you do in a film. You You, you refocus and you frame something. Right. Uh, not just reflect, don't, don't, you don't have to just stand, stand back and somehow be equal to both sides of an argument or four sides of an argument. Right. There's really, right. There's really two sides. <laughs> but often there's four sides to an argument. But, you know, opera, I, a lot of artists, you ask them about you know, their work and says, oh, I don't want to tell you anything. You need to think for yourself. Artists don't think that way anymore. I think right. we're like, no, I'm going to stand here and tell you. Think. Right. You know? Right. Think about it. Don't just sit back and, and not think yeah. about. It. Yeah, it's interesting what's going on. With I think oh. we
0: do have a little bit of Hollywood to thank for that. Just in that, yeah. in Hollywood and, and and pop artists as well, found that they could they could bring up their political views or their personal views and have something to say. Right, and that kind of has has bled into other genres, and yeah. it's nice when we have a vehicle like opera to talk about different things. Artists can get really specific and, right. and, and very open and very detailed about what they want to say. And be like, we're saying this in the show or I'm a part of this movement right. and I'm performing. This is for everybody.
1: Yeah, I do think, though, that um, I think art, artists have been political for a long time. I just it's interesting, you know, let's be honest about it. In America, our history, opera was an import. Absolutely.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yes, there were American operas written you know earlier but it was essentially looked upon as a European art form being staged in America Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that because of that you know artists in this particular conservative art form did not speak out the way that They would, let's say, if they were living in Europe. They were very political in Europe, you know? Yes, yes, yes. You know, Puccini, Verdi, all these people had things to say. Yeah. But uh, in America, they sort of stood back. And I think that is a sign, I think, now, that opera really, you can feel it. It's like this living art form. You know, everyone keeps talking about opera's dead, blah, blah, blah. I know they've always said
0: that. Right.
1: But... (laughs) I can honestly now say it's because operas are being written about real people. They're being ri- written about subjects. People matter. You know where where people the subject matters matter. That you know, um, Wong Ro wrote the the amazing um, an American soldier that was just done about the soldier committed suicide after mm-hmm. being an Iraq Asian soldier, um, and it's so intense and so political. Um, and uh, I think it's that now you cannot deny art is a living art form. There are living issues, living artists. And I, don't, I think opera is no longer content at being sort of a recreative art right. anymore. You know? Yeah. Um, even the smallest companies are now thinking we need to be cre- you know, supporting new work right. no matter where you are you know, Boulder, Colorado, you know, whatever, whatever city town you come from. I think that it's expected for you to be creative as well as recreative, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: everybody saw this, that, you know, the, the big scare of what's happening after 2000, what's going to happen with 21st century opera, you know, yeah, we saw kind of an economic downturn that closed a lot of smaller companies. But people, uh, there are some people that still have the mentality that that's where we're at. But I mean, look at the list that's in front of you. Look at the, look at how many companies are involved in Opera Fest this year. Fifty-four companies in one city.
1: Yeah, I mean, I am not afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not afraid. Um, (laughs) People want to express themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, opera actually can't die. There's, I mean, if you take a very general idea, opera is about singing, Opera is about telling stories, right? Mm-hmm. And it's telling stories through singing. Now, you might draw a line between opera theater, uh, sorry, and musical theater. I do not. Um, I think that people have a deep-seated need to express themselves. If you were in New York during 9-11, people were grieved. People expressed their emotion. And one of the ways, right right off the bat, is people sang songs. Mm-hmm. People made music together. People created massive artwork memorial stuff everywhere there is a deep-seated need for human beings to express themselves Absolutely. and when we get stressed that need becomes greater mm-hmm. because our grief sometimes cannot just be expressed through words mm-hmm. and we want to take actions right and I think opera no matter what happens to it you know opera houses may fall the big ones the small ones but that deep-seated need to tell stories and to connect to people using this incredible... I mean, everyone sings, right? Yeah. But to use it in a way that's truly artistic and open, yeah. that's, that's not... It can't go... It just can't. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the human you know, brain. Uh, I read a thing about Oliver Sacks this week who said that there are really only two um, human experiences that are good for the brain. One is to go and travel and see, be in nature and let your eyes experience the world experience, it actually has a beneficial effect on your brain. Mm-hmm. And it, he says that is proven. And the only other thing that we have is music. Yeah. That's the other thing that is proven to be beneficial and is just, you you know, it's not in drugs, it's not therapy, it's not whatever. Right. The music does it. Yeah. So there's something very primal about music and expression that well, even, won't die.
0: Even when the cathedral of Notre Dame was, oh, was burning, mm. the crowd outside gathered and was singing. Yeah. You get yeah. spontaneously hundreds of people singing together that don't know each yeah. other. I mean, come on. That's...
1: Wait, let's, let's be more specific. <laughs> when we, our country got freaked out, Congress sang yes. together. Congress sang. Think about that.
0: Well, that's a unity they never had before. <laughs> yeah, 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 know what I
1: mean? And But how did they show it? That yeah. was the way they showed it. Yeah. It's really, and you know, <clears throat> there's nothing like being in a group singing. Yes. G- breathing at the same time and making sounds, aspirating, you know, making air pass and just being together. It's just like meditation. You go to your yoga class, there's something that connects people if we just sit down and sync up. A basic human biological function. We connect in a way that that you know, it's not the same if you're behind a screen or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, something very real and beautiful.
0: I I never was the biggest fan of performing choral work myself, but I think the most emotional moment I've ever had as a musician, maybe let's say one of the top two, was a Brahms Requiem that I sang in, and we had sixty some people on stage. With the orchestra up with us, not in with the pit. And being in the middle of that <laughs> was just like I get goosebumps now thinking back on it. But at that moment in time, like I'm I think it's the only time the only time I've ever performed anything that I literally had to cognitively go through the process of you can't be so affected by this music, yeah. then you start crying right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and I'm not one of those people that like I don't I don't cry at movies, I don't cry at books, but right. that moment was so was so much. Right in that, that one moment in time that has not been duplicated since for me, for but it was a live music experience yeah. that I was actively participating in, Yeah, the it was great, phenomenal.
1: Yeah. And, and even as an audience member, just when you're in the right place and the right mm. time and there's the right orchestra and the right singers, um, uh, what was it, um, Strauss's Elektra, I saw a concert, New York Philharmonic did Strauss's Elektra um and everything was so perfect that i i don't think i breathed for like 2 hours yeah i was on the edge of my seat and there's there's a focus to the brain when you you know yeah <laughs> it's just unbelievable you know i i'd like to tell people if they want to see something musical non non opera Go to the right of spring anywhere. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Just go and experience a, a, that that thing, and, and you get it's it, you can get addicted. You yeah. know, it's one of the wonderful things to see a new work. Everyone's like, oh, I don't want to see new, blah blah. I love seeing something new. You don't know what's gonna happen. Right. It's like saying, I'm not gonna see any movies unless I've seen them before. You know, right? <laughs> Which is crazy. Also, then, are you just? Watch, how did you see those ones in the first place? Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> there's such a thrill when you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, like I saw um, La Clemenza di Tito uh-huh. a couple of weeks ago, and I went with a friend. He read the entire synopsis, and I'm like, "Wait, no, 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 wait! Don't either- <laughs> read the first half. Figure out who the characters are, and then and don't, then read don't the finish. Second right? Half. Exactly. Yeah, yeah." I mean, that's yeah. my strategy. If it's... Well, I, my strategy is to not read anything. Yeah. But I would say with Opera Syria, yeah. with all those characters that are completely unexplained, and I knew, <laughs> right. I, knew I knew, this was going to be like, count blah, 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 and so and so. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm, seriously, I, I read the first four sentences like five times. I'm like, who is... Who, I don't who? understand any of this synopsis. Yeah. But, I did uh, that with
0: uh, Adriana Lecouvreur. Yeah. I, I read... The first half, because I had never seen the show right. at all, and so I went to the, I went to the, sh- I went to it, and I read the, the synopsis for the first half. Yeah, it's like all right, just like you said, know who the key players are, right? Kind of know where they're gonna go, and then I was like, I know somebody dies, yeah, but I don't want to know who it is until it happens, right? Even though, like, I had friends that were in the cast who were putting stuff up on Instagrams, like I just, it's like Game of Thrones spoilers, and like, right. don't do it. <laughs> I want to know how the show goes.
1: This is gonna be really stupid, but I, I did that with Fanchula del West. And yeah, yeah, ne- yeah, I had never seen it. Yeah, and you know it's a western. It's you know, and I don't a Puccini know, western. And, and I'm like, well, <laughs> this could end really badly. They could, and right as they were walking off the stage, I'm like, you know, he could just. You're waiting up for the gunshot. Gun. I know. Like, <laughs> and I honestly didn't know what was gonna happen. So same you here. Know. It's
0: funny. I had I had. Um... And during my brief stint as a tenor, which was very brief, uh, I sang some of the stuff from Fontula And the music was wonderful, but I never looked at anybody else's roles. Uh-huh. And so, the, the for this season was the first time I'd ever seen the show, like, in its entirety. And it was the same thing. I didn't know what was going to happen at the <laughs> end, because I, I thought to myself, I was sitting there, I was like, oh, I didn't
1: Read. I never looked at this.
0: <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in this show. But it was great, because then... I was
1: actually riveted yeah. to
0: see what happened at the end of a show, as yeah. opposed to, do I need to stick around for the bows? Can I cut out real right. quick? And you know,
1: you know, and you know, speaking of really hard in this culture, the Fanchula is like the weirdest, like story, <laughs> like <laughs> American West, and they're singing l- Italian lullabies, and I mean, it's yeah. really that's, yeah. I mean, it's so funny because some, you know, they stereotype every culture, right? Puccini did it, and then you realize, oh. Now they're going to stereotype our mythology. 100%. And, and, and then it just, it's so funny feeling. And yeah. It's so weird. So I'm sure anyone, you know, who's going, who's Egyptian, well, I don't know about Egyptian, but uh, anyone who's, right? <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't really uh, but, you know, if you're going to see Butterfly or whatever, I'm sure they're totally insulted by yeah, right. every right. inch of that piece. Like, I cannot believe that this is what people think we're about. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think about like every, uh, every ethnic dance that was thrown into any opera ever. Oh, yeah. When they had never traveled to those countries or had barely traveled to the countries. So right. I'm gonna throw a Turkish dance in there. It's gotta sound like this.
1: Right. <laughs> I know, and it's well, that's it's a it's a, actually a big question right now, as a composer, thinking, all right, someday they're gonna look back and be embarrassed by my ignorance mm. of whatever culture. So then the question becomes: Do you write operas only about th- yourself, right? Or is there an "quote unquote" exoticism? Mm-hmm. You know, are you allowed to write about other things? And it's really this: the society's in a real funk right now because real representation of people and having those people speak their voices mm-hmm. is so important right now. Yeah, but. The, not all of those people are writing operas right right so how you know how does opera deal with this like do we only tell the stories you know that right. we're how do you, you know?
0: decide what's your story to tell yeah
1: yeah it's a big it's a big question now because even just movies and tv just going back two decades you it's painful like, oh yeah what do we <laughs> What stories are we telling? You yeah, know?
0: I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, and every once in a while, I turn stuff on and watch it. And I'm right. like, wow, they went there. That right, was unique. Okay.
1: Well, it's that really was like a different bad. time
0: in the '90s.
1: I mean, I, I'm you know they still replay Golden Girls, but now it's like, oh, that joke's really, really offensive. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: I was like, wow, I didn't think they were that racist, but apparently,
1: wow, that was normal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah. So, but same thing with opera that's why I mean that's why I'm really when I hear there's a new opera um, even if it's not about a contemporary subject you know that they're going to deal with issues in a way that is culturally relevant right. with how our brains function today yeah. you know? so I'm really, I'm really excited anytime I hear there's, there's something new uh, going on uh, speaking of that I'll, we'll go back to the festival yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so you asked me new things that are being done uh, another gay pride thing is they're doing what, what they're calling the Stonewall Operas. Okay. So they're going to go to the actual Stonewall Inn and have four world premieres uh, right inside the Stonewall Inn. And I should name them. So I'm going to do that. Give me a second. Where's the Stonewall Inn? Stonewall Inn is on, is on uh, Christopher Street. I can, because I can picture it in my head. It's, it's so
0: on I can't Christopher remember Christopher street, street. It was
1: yeah. Oh, it's the famous Stonewall. Well, it's a bar now. Yeah. But it was called the Stonewall Inn. And there's going to be four... Brand new operas, uh, and it's being done uh, with NYU Tisch School of the Arts Graduate Musical Theater Program and American Opera Projects working together. Uh, And there's going to be Nightlife by T.J. Rubin, The Community by Kevin Cummins, The Pomada Inn by Brian Kavanaugh, and Outside by Brian Blasky. And, of course, I just created the big sin of not saying the librettists because actually the librettists, especially in the New York program, are incredibly important. So I should mm. say, "Nightlife" by T.J. Rubin and Dipali Gupta, "The Community" by Kevin Cummins, "Libretto" by Shoshana Greenberg, "The Pomana Inn" with music by Brian Kavanaugh Strong, and "Libretto" by Ben Bonema, and "Outside" by Brian Blasky and libretto Seth Christenfeld. You have to really give the librettists... You do.
0: It's funny because the 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 episode that's going to air that will have aired right before this one. Um, is Lila Palmer, who is a librettist, right? And that's one of the things that she and I talked about is the fact that we we think about the singers, we think about the performers, we we think about the the, the instrumentalists, right? And often the conductors, and
1: somehow the librettists they get just wrong. kind of disappear. Yeah, no, they just. But they're the ones coming up with the story, right? They're, right? They're coming up with whether we'll be engaged, represented, interested at all, practically. Right. And I'm I'm so interested watching
0: librettists and dramaturgs, um, kind of pitch back and forth to each yeah. other you know will this work will this not work yeah. and um, the way that we um, digest media and with those newer generations being the ones that come in and make a lot of these changes right we're, we see the art form morphing yeah and it's it's so exciting. Exactly. A lot of people are like, oh, well, it's changing. It's that, not a bad thing. Right. I this was, can be an amazing thing. I kept
1: thinking, oh, what would it have been like to be there when, you know, Mozart was premiering stuff? What would it have been like, you know, when Verdi was in his prime? I now kind of feel like, wow, we're, we're in this time when we, all these new, wonderful composers, you know, it's happening. It's yeah. happening. Uh, yeah. It's interesting to uh, to... To feel finally, I mean, honestly, that's a horrible thing to say. But really, it feels so dynamic right now. Yeah. It's And the other thing, shamefully, is how much I don't know. There's so many new things going on right. that I missed. I find out about two months later, you know. Yeah. Uh, so if you actually want to know what's going on, I suggest you go to the New York Opera Fest. Yes, please. I, I should actually say nyoperafest.com to get information on that and also if you want to know what's going on with little companies in New York City specifically the NIOA has the it's uh, nyoperaalliance.com, just NY um, and we have a calendar and there's a list of groups um, and get on our our newsletter NIOA has a monthly newsletter that says what's going on in the city and there's always eight or nine li- I need to get on know. that list yeah. I really do all you have to do is go <laughs> to the website there's a little, little space. You fill in your email. We don't share it with anybody. And every month you'll get something. There'll also be, sometimes we list, some companies like to put out, you know, there's auditions or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, get on that. It's, it's really helpful. And the other thing, I've never actually said this on a podcast. And if you really are interested in opera and you want to know what's going on, go to Google. And create a Google search that's gonna send you a news alert with the words opera and premiere in it. I
0: never even thought about doing that. Yes! That makes total sense.
1: It's like having your own private (laughs) opera newspaper, and I get it delivered every day. And just by having the word premiere and opera in Mm -hmm. it, it's, I mean, it's not, every once in a while there's a premiere and opera house of a film. Right, of course, right, right. Or a ballet. But I get 12 news items every day. And it's a way to wake up you find out i mean then it's worldwide too yeah so anytime someone puts something out with those two words you're going to get a little digest in your in your box yeah so i recommend doing that as well
0: well it's i love to see so much new stuff going on because i always tell young artists when i work with them if you can get involved with a new production uh, and work with composers work mm. with world premieres it's working on opera in a way you've never done it before. Yeah, you know, you get to you get to have an open dialogue about. I mean, you've you've done um, plenty of, of yeah. premieres yourself, yeah. and uh, I talked with Tim Myers a little bit about this. He's like, I want, even though it's going to be a new work, I want singers to come to the table with an idea, and then we can have this dialogue about this new piece and breathe life into it, right. and it can have this whole process exactly. And
1: they will also allow people to do different things with new... I mean, once you've done new opera and you realize how you work with a composer, so why are you going to treat these other composers whose works... Because they're dead. mm -hmm. You need to actually work harder to have a dialogue with the piece. You need to actually bring it alive and make it... There's more work to be done. The dialogue has to happen in a completely different way. But you look at the text in a totally different way as this malleable container. Like... As a composer, you know, you put the stuff on the page and it really is an empty container. There's right. you know and if you do a show and then you put it up and you know that's what the composer wanted, because you were in dialogue, but then you look back at the score and you realize someone's gonna have this score and have no idea yeah. of the actual work that we put on. Yeah that's really not reflected in the score. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to look at this old score and realize there's a whole other thing going on here. This is only the residue right. left over that they, you know, this is only what they thought to write down from at the beginning. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I completely changes new opera changes the way you look at performing opera. That's, Absolutely. That's true. Yeah. yeah.
0: And what do you guys do? Um, what is the, what is the uh, New York Opera Alliance doing? Uh, let's say the off-season, which would be the regular opera season, um, when, when Opera Fest is not in high yeah. gear.
1: Um, so we do a few things. Uh, we uh, What we mostly do is we we, we, we have like a, a Google list of people we communicate with each mm-hmm. other. And that was the main idea, is to get yeah. people to communicate. The other big thing for us is to create collaborations mm-hmm. uh, to help companies get in contact with each other. Um, Right now we're working on make, trying to find a way to share resources, like to have a place where, hey, listen, I have 14th century or 20th century costumes or blah blah blah. Yeah. To figure out a way, and I mean it's difficult. Yeah. But to to share resources, uh, we do do monthly meetings that we talk about really important issues, um, like we just had one on accessibility in opera. How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. And you know. Theater companies are, are, you know, being sued and, you know, you yep. really, you're providing a service. Companies need to know how to deal, how to reach out so that all their patrons, no matter what their abilities are, can come into their spaces and, yeah. you know, dialogues with that. We've had, um, one of our quarterly meetings was about gender issues, mm-hmm. how how people are dealing with that in opera, you know, we have various things. Um, plus we, um we uh what else do we do i'm trying to think i mean the festival is really one of our largest events we also work with opera america you know they they do these professional development things and um usually once a year though it hasn't happened every year uh they do a professional development thing that we're a part of and it really brings us together to talk about What's it like to be a founder of an opera company? How do you deal with founder syndrome, getting mm-hmm. tired? Mm-hmm. How do you work on making sure that your goals are being met? Um, so we're sort of a conduit for information. yeah, And also a real easy way. I mean, if you want to get in contact with every opera company in the city, you just send to this group and everyone hears it. That's awesome. Usually. Yeah. Yes. Usually.
0: <laughs> but that that whole concept that you guys have developed, this idea that small opera companies are not don't have to be competing. It doesn't yeah. have to be a competition. We don't have to be fighting each other yeah. for assets and resources and singers that it can be a collaboration. And that's yeah. where that's where real art really comes out.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's because they're not in theaters, the traditional theaters every time. No one has a season in one th- well maybe we might have a couple of members. We do have a couple members. We have a single theater. Right. But it's not apples to apples you can't compete there's no way to compete with each other your your product is so different yeah um and none of these companies are even remotely like each other it's it they're whole different universes and they have different emphasis different ways they they value you know their how they use their time how they communicate who they hire it's completely different every single one yeah um and so there is a company out there that that if you have an interest in opera, there's a company in your neighborhood. You know, even if you live in Staten Island, there's a company in Staten Island. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You know,
0: there there. And there's a company doing something you're going to be interested in. Yeah,
1: exactly. Support your local opera company. There you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on PBS right now. Exactly. I'm okay with it. I have no problems with that whatsoever. <laughs>
1: It, all it takes is a tiny bit of effort nowadays. Yeah. You can find uh, not only us, but you can find other opera companies. It's, it, you know it's hard to sit in your little bubble, yeah uh, but if you're not actively doing it, if you're not actively looking, if you're not making that gesture, you'll have no idea right that, that, that any of, of it's happening yeah um, and that we're, we're, we're trying to get the biggest megaphone possible to mm-hmm. say that we're a community. Yes. You know, it's a community. You're, none of these opera companies exist on their own. We share an audience. Mm-hmm. We definitely share singers and, and artistic staff and musicians. Absolutely. We share the same spaces. Um, there's a community here and I have been just amazed at the collaborative spirit, the support. I mean, really, I, that first meeting... I was like, this is, ne- I can't imagine what it'll be like. It was so amazing. It was like a warm hug, you know? Yeah. It's like, wow, where did all, all these amazing people, and they're so open. And they're, yeah. so, You know what I mean? And I'm sure there are groups that aren't. I'm not going to, you know, I'm sure there are oh, of groups, course. but they're not members of our, you know, right, right. of NIOA. Yeah. Uh, but uh, is there anything specific they wanted to put out? No, just saying that, you know, here we have an opera festival that I feel is relevant today. Right. It's dealing with issues of today. It's completely affordable. You know, it that, that ranges from free. <laughs>
0: no excuses there. Yes.
1: To, you know, maybe 40, 50, 80 at the most, I'm sure. But think about that. It's, I mean, a Broadway show today. You know, I mean, I always laugh at that. Everyone's like, opera's so expensive. Get, pay for one Beyonce ticket.
0: Seriously. Right? Seriously.
1: The price yeah. people are paying to see shows in the city. It's, it is insane. Yeah. And so, you know, the, these opera companies, it's not just a lot of fun and relevant. It's completely affordable. Absolutely, And they're, you know, you can go to a bar. We, you know, Opera on Tap, they're doing three concerts during the go. festival. They're always doing concerts. But, you know, two of them are go, have a drink, listen to a bunch of opera singers and have fun, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, no matter what your scene is, yeah. there, there's a different kind of space, a different kind of vibe for each of these companies. And I really recommend just poking around our website. It'll take you to the artist's website. Poke around there. See right. where it takes you, you know. Uh, so that, that, that's what we want you to do is just, we want you to know that the opera community wants you to, to watch Yes, <laughs> It's that simple. It's that simple. We want you.
0: Well, I'm going to step up my game. I'm going to have to jump on your newsletter oh, all right. and, uh, and do <laughs> that and, and add a, uh, a bunch of operas to go see in, uh, in May. I'm teaching. I'll be on the road for all of June, but I'm around for most of May. So oh, well, well come, come see
1: some new stuff. There's Chunky and Heat with Experiments in Opera, The Impossible She, which is Rhymes with Opera. There's just a lot of really great new stuff to yeah. see. And there's a lot of great classics, you know. I am actually performing in the festival for the first time in two awesome. years. Uh Vertical Player Repertory. It will be singing the United States Constitution. It has been set to music by Ben Yarmolinsky, who we mentioned earlier, who wrote the Clarence and Anita. Uh-huh. It's the it, not every word of the Constitution, but it's an hour and a half long, it includes the amendments, and it's, you know, it's going to be a chorus and soloists. That's a pretty awesome idea. Yeah. We're doing that June 27th and 30th in Brooklyn, uh awesome. on Court Street. So Come on down. Excellent,
0: All right. do. I love that idea. Thanks well, thank so much you for so taking much, the time. so much, Daniel. This has been great.
1: This is a real hoot. And, uh, and visit our website, nyoperafest.com.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. For more information about today's guest, visit our website at operabizpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show with two interview episodes and two social media sound bites each month. You can find me directly on Instagram, at The Beard and Lens, and the podcast Instagram is at Opera Biz. Thanks for listening to the Opera Biz
1: podcast.